0: What number is this, Chip?
1: Episode 41 A visit with first generation monkeys fans.
0: <laughs> okay, no, I mean, like, don't get excited, man.
1: It's because I'm short. You're listening to Zilch, a monkeys podcast.
2: familiar music you know you are listening to your monkeys podcast zilch i'm ken mills one of your hosts here and tonight we are joined by melanie mitchell
1: hi ken how you doing
2: i'm doing fantastic welcome to the show once again it's been a very busy month for the monkeys and for peter torque primarily but we'll get into that first i'd like to say something on a personal note I would like to thank everybody that commented on my personal Facebook page and on the Zilch Facebook page and the emails that we received. We'd also like to thank the official Peter Tork Facebook page for mentioning something that happened in my life. Uh, my, My mother passed away this last weekend, and I'm not saying that to bring everybody down, but I am saying it to thank you for your sweetness and your caring, and the generosity of sharing your heart. There were people who were very kind and very open and very loving. And you know, all I can do is say thank you. I am very humbled by the outpouring and show of love. And it's kind of true what the Beatles said, that in the end, the love you take is equal to the love you make. And I wanna thank each and every one of you for sending a smile my way or a hug and it's going right back to you and I appreciate you all thank you for being part of the Zilch Facebook page and like I said thank you to the Peter Tork Facebook page and everyone that shared it or talked about it thank you very much as a matter of fact Melanie I would like to dedicate this episode to all the mothers and fathers and aunts and uncles out there who share the gift of music with people, and my mother was one of the people that turned me on to the Beatles, and turned me on to the Monkees in her own way, and she was always very supportive of any musical direction that I sought out. We would like to dedicate this episode to everybody's uh, mother and father and aunts and uncles, all those people that share the love of music, and you know, if you have someone in your life, you might want to share the love of music to them, right, Melanie?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. My- I saw my nephew on Sunday. He was wearing a classic Beatles t-shirt. I was so proud of him.
2: Yeah, he's being raised right, so that's cool. (laughs) (laughs) You know, uh, we were talking about being a busy time. It's been a very busy time for Mickey, who just finished his Broadway show and all this stuff. And Michael Nesmith was signing his box set in Phoenicia. Did you see those pictures, Melanie?
1: Oh, my God, what an enormous pile of things he has to sign. What a massive undertaking.
2: <laughs> that looks like a recipe for carpal tunnel syndrome, so be <laughs> careful, Mike. And, uh, boy, it's been a busy month for Peter Tork. He's uh, had some shows and a really cool fan event, which we're going to go into detail, hopefully, in our next episode. But we just kind of want to shine a little light on one of our favorite monkeys, Peter Tork.
0: It ain't your fault, babe. Go ahead and do what you gotta do. Ain't your fault, babe.
3: That you don't love me like I love you. Ain't your fault, baby. That I'm so blue.
2: And I would like to mention that you guys should check out PeterTorque.com. Wouldn't you agree, Melanie?
1: Absolutely. And one of the wonderful things about that site is that you can buy. All of the music, all three of the CDs that Shoe Suede Blues has put out, or you can uh, buy individual tracks. You can also listen to them for free before you buy them. Not mm-hmm. just a sample, but the whole song. Um, he's also got all of the uh, solo CD, Stranger Things Have Happened, mm-hmm. on that site, uh, which again, you can buy the whole thing or individual tracks. Very low cost, and, and Peter's getting every penny of it. It's not going to Amazon or, or I, uh, Apple or anybody else. It's just going to Peter. Right. So it's a good deal.
2: And it's really cool when you do purchase something, you get a confirmation email. And it, what does it say, Melanie?
1: Well, the one I got said, you have sent Peter H. Torkelson $7.
2: So that was pretty cool.
1: I just had this (laughs) mental image of Peter waking up in the morning, checking his email and saying, Oh, look, $7. I can afford to pay the electric bill now.
2: Hey, every penny counts in life. We all know that. We all live that in the real world. But it is really cool. And if you want to listen to the music and check it out before you buy it, there is a listen slash download section on com. Which will take you to a way that you can listen to it. And if you choose to buy it, you just click on the buy and it takes you to his Petertork.com Bandcamp page. And it's mm-hmm. definitely a great way to get some Peter Tork music. Mm-hmm. And if you're a Monkees fan, I can't imagine why you wouldn't want to check that out. And there's everything from Peter's Concerto on there to the Step by Step album. There is the Cambria Hotel. Saved by the Blues. Saved by the Stranger, Blues. And yeah.
1: Stranger Things Have Happened.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So it's it's a good way to get some Peter Tork music into your life, which is not a bad thing. <laughs> so shout out to PeterTork.com and the people at his Facebook page. You guys are the champs. Today's episode is something I would kind of classify under Monkey's Culture. Sometimes our episodes are about the music or about the TV show exclusively. We're going to call this one... You know, file it under Monkees culture because we 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 have fans from all different eras and times of the Monkees, wouldn't you say, Melanie?
1: Absolutely.
2: And it's interesting at, at what time you come up in Mo- the Monkees fandom may determine what you actually enjoy, or or uh, you you might lean towards a different era or lineup or something like that or an album, but it really had to start somewhere. On today's episode of Zilch, we are focusing on the original first-generation Monkeys fans. Right, Melanie?
1: Absolutely. It's going to be a wonderful conversation.
2: And today we have Jeff Garandrew, who's been on the show several times, and Karen Welsh, who has something really cool going on on YouTube, if you check it out. If you go to YouTube and do a search for Monkey Mythbusters, you'll find a clip named... Monkey myth number one: Any four guys could have been the monkeys. And what's that clip about, Melanie?
1: Well, it's uh, Karen Welsh's debunking of that myth through a very clever animation sequence. Uh, I understand it's the first of several that she's going to be making, debunking various myths about the monkeys. But uh, it's it's a it's a lot of fun. It's it's uh, cute and clever.
2: I agree. But before we do that, I think we need to talk about the monkeys. Blu-ray set that's coming out Uh, Every day it seems like we're getting more And more from either Andrew Sandoval Or the Monkey's Facebook page or Twitter pages And we are seeing cleaned up Versions of episodes and, And what do you think Melanie?
1: Oh it's been absolutely Stunning. Some of the Episodes from the DVDs That were the most Murky and washed out in color Are the ones that they're Sharing clips from on the internet right now. We've seen several screenshots from uh, Mijikojo and Monkeys in Paris and they are just so sharp and clean and intense and full of color. It's really such a treat. Uh, Today's special was a side-by-side comparison of the opening scene of Monkeys in Paris as it is on the DVD set now. And as it looks with the uh, high-def 4G, super-duper, extra-special with jelly beans, I'm not sure what the terminology is, <laughs> um, <laughs> version that's coming out on the Blu-ray. Uh, but it's really, it's so sharp and amazing, and there's, there's a poster on the wall, and you can actually see what the poster says. You know, Before, it was just a blur of color. Um, it's, it's really very sharp and intense and fun to look at. And we've also seen a couple of stills, uh, still photos, or screenshots taken from 33 and a third revolutions per monkey. In this case, it's not so much that they've been cleaned up, but that they're actually images that we've never seen before. These appear to be outtakes. Um, There's a moment in the last scene of that special when um, Rip Taylor holds up a sign that says he's really playing this. And the stills that we've now seen um, actually have Rip Taylor holding up two other signs. Um, one of them says, I think I am too and the other one is like, so is he <laughs> and these were not in the special originally but apparently we have some additional film that they've recovered and are hoping to share with us so it's pretty exciting
2: so that should be interesting and we look forward to that so check out this ad and when we come back our discussion with the original first generation monkeys fans
3: I'm Brett Velez my new book, A Little Bit Me, A Little Bit You, The Monkeys from a Fan's Perspective, chronicles my experiences with the monkeys from the 1960s into today,
2: along with stories by other fans on how the monkeys touched our lives. A Little Bit Me, A Little Bit
3: You, The Monkeys from a Fan's Perspective by Fred Velez, available on Amazon.com, CreateSpace.com, Smashwords.com, Apple iBooks, Barnes & Noble Nook, and other print and ebook outlets.
2: You know, for many people, it just seems like the monkeys have always been part of their lives, whether it was an older brother, or an uncle, or an aunt, or a sister, or somebody knew the monkeys, or you just saw them on TV and reruns. But there were some people who saw them and enjoyed the monkeys as they happened. We call them original fans, and today we are joined by two of them. We welcome back to the Zilch Podcast, Jeff Geringer.
3: Hi, glad to be with everyone.
2: And we welcome back to the show our first Canadian person to be on Zilch, Karen Welsh. How are you today?
4: I'm just fine. Thank you for having me back, Ken.
2: So today we're going to discuss what it was like to be an original fan back in the day. And we're talking about two people from two different worlds in a sense. One of you grew up in California and one of you grew up in Canada. How did you find the monkeys let's start with Karen first
4: well I believe I saw the very first episode it was you know advertised heavily through the summer as all fall uh, new shows are and uh, I became a fan instantly I mean it was instant infatuation and over the years I guess I have to say that I kind of grew to love them and respect them but the the instant I saw that very first episode I was a fan I mean there was absolutely no doubt what was it that
2: grabbed you about that show?
4: Um, well, I was exactly the right age, you know, at, at 10. My older brother was um, a Beatles fan. He was a, a budding hippie. So that music was in the house. It was the color and how fast the show moved. The four guys were so engaging. The plots were fun. It was funny in a way that a kid understands. And of course, I fell in love with Davey. Uh-huh. Yeah, I know I'm a little bit of a cliche there, (laughs) but you know, Davey didn't look that much older than the boys that I had crushes on in the schoolyard, right? Uh So there was, don't you agree, Melanie? There was absolutely nothing really manly about the guy. I mean, have you ever noticed, by the way, you never see a shadow on any of the guys' faces. They must have shaved halfway through the day to make sure there was never a, five, a five-o'clock clock shadow to scare the hell out of, you know, the, the 10-year-old fan watching. Oh, my goodness, they turn into men.
1: Um, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but, Karen, I, I think that Davey uh, was quoted in um, one of the books, I think it was uh, Monkey Business, roughly saying that he was little and harmless. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I agree. I mean, he had that look that was
4: kind of girlish with the long hair and the full lips. And when you're 10 years old, the last thing you find attractive is anyone who looks like your father, right? So anybody who was on the, on the verge of becoming a man. So because Davy had that harmless look to him, he he appealed to me. He, he Like I said, he, he wasn't that much older looking to the boys that I had crushes on who were obviously boys. Take that and, and compare Davy to Mike. Now, Mike was like the dad of the group. And if you were a Mike fan, the weirdest girl we knew was a Mike fan. And I'm sorry, Mike, but this is true. Because he came across as Mr. Well, we know that was his character, right? To be rational and logical and to be the leader. And that was too much like dad. You know what I mean? Like a dad. And And he was a dad dad in real life. Whereas Davey was more like the kid that, uh, like, boy that was just a little bit older, you know, maybe like a boy who was a friend of my brother's who was older, right? He was seven years older, so he would have been somebody like I would have a crush on that was my friend of my brother's. That was what Davy was to me. But you know what? Now I look at the four and I say, what was wrong with me? Peter is so cute. Thank you. <laughs> oh, those dimples. Oh my gosh. And the blonde hair. And And each of us had um, a favorite, like Kathy across the street, my friend from the orchard. She was in love with Peter. She said she was gonna marry him someday. And you know what? It never goes away because years ago, when I told her I was back to being a fan, the very first words out of her mouth were, I loved Peter, I just loved him. And she said it in a way like she was back to being nine, 10 years old, it was so sweet. Uh, people might think that's kind of sick, but no, it was sweet. It was really, really, really sweet. And um, I don't think it really goes away. I think those memories of being in love with that first teen idol or the first pop idol you don't you don't lose that feeling that you had right uh, absolutely. It's still there. It, it becomes different, but you do have that kind of sense memory of what it was like at the time. Mm-hmm.
2: And from sunny California, what seems like on the other side of the world was Jeff Garinger and Jeff. How old were you and how did you find the monkeys at the time?
3: Well, I found them in the fall of of 66 and I was six. Um, I found them actually very similar to the way uh, our contributor Fred Velez found them. Is that I was a Gilligan's Island fan. And for some reason Gilligan's Island was not on for one particular Monday. And so I sampled the monkeys and that was it. I jettisoned uh, Gilligan's Island and uh, became a monkeys fan. It was the the first album that really got me uh, as a record person. The fun and the excitement of that first album was, you know, better than any, you know, kids record I had.
2: What was it about the show that, that pulled you in?
3: It was the zaniness of it. You know, uh, I'm sure as most people do in their cities, they have local television kid hosts. And it, it kind of was, you know, Captain Crocodile was not kind of far off from what we were seeing. We had here in California, we had Sheriff John and... Hobo Kelly and Wonderama and all these things, and it was kind of a a stepping stone from that to me. I mean, they had so much fun and screwed around so much, and one thing that I think was important is that there was no adult supervision. I mean, they were four guys off on their own, and that part of the the series, I mean, not knowing at the time, but when you're seven, really grasped on to me that they could do all this stuff without someone telling them no.
1: Or solving their problems for them.
3: Right,
4: right. I I agree with that. I maybe it was more subliminal with me that it, that was something that it was attracting me to to the monkeys, but um, there wasn't a dad figure. I just mentioned that Mike was like dad, but he wasn't the dad of the show like there was with the shows that took place in a family setting where the father solved the problems. Um, yeah, it's true. They did. They solved their own problems, and also the bad guys were the grown-ups. So it wasn't just that they solved their own problems, it was that the grown-ups, um, the adults, were the ones that were causing the problems and that were the mean ones and, and the evil ones and the ones that needed to be, uh, uh, that were causing the problem and needed to be um, put down. Yeah. Or, or, or chased a lot. A lot of chasing, <laughs> a lot of chasing of bad guys. Yeah. Right,
1: <laughs> Jeff, I have to ask you, I've always wondered this, um, being in Southern California, was there anything about the proximity? I mean, did, did you ever, like, try to go to where they were filming or try to go to a, you know, public appearances that they were making or follow along with, you know, restaurants that they like to hang out in? I've seen a lot of things in, in uh, teen magazines. Not to say that you were reading teen magazines as a seven-year-old boy, but uh, maybe you were. Uh, I was. And- <laughs> <laughs> you know, P- Peter loves this restaurant, or Davey really likes to hang out at that place. You know, w- was there any sense of, you know, being so close that that you might actually be able to see them in person?
3: In later years, yes, without question. But no, in in the '60s, you know, I was seven, and my parents supported me and helped me buy my first records. But, you know, they're they're not going to drive you around a, you know, a restaurant because that's where the guys might be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in fact. In Southern California, they only made two appearances, to my knowledge. One was the last train to Clarksville promotion that KHJ Radio did, where they gave away tickets and everyone got on a train and went down to San Juan Capistrano, which they renamed Clarksville. This was like a week or two before the series premiered, and their concert at the Hollywood Bowl. Mm -hmm. So there really wasn't a lot of of local appearances until Mm -hmm. the 70s and 80s.
1: Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, Karen, you were so far away. Was there anything particular about being a Canadian fan that was maybe a different experience than, than fans who were in the United States or closer to California might have experienced?
4: Right, right. Well, two things. One, I was jealous of anybody who lived in Los Angeles because it seemed like, you know, the monkeys could be met on the street. That was kind of the, the idea that you had. Um, which is probably not true. The teen magazines would tell you stories of of, of fans meeting them, and that wasn't going to happen on the streets of Toronto. However, in Toronto, being a border city, it was my birthright that I got to see the monkeys twice a week. So Sunday night at 7 o'clock on CTV, and Monday night, 7.30, NBC, uh, WGR-TV, Channel 2, Buffalo. Oh. And <laughs> that is stuck in my head, over. And, um, yeah, and, I mean, there was, you know, this signal came across Lake Ontario, and it, 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 it was magical that this thing would arrive and come down your aerial that was on the top of your, the roof, and into this colored TV that Dad, thankfully, had just bought that summer. And it didn't matter how bad the reception was, okay? You still watched it, because you didn't know any different. I mean, CTV, CBC, they came in very very clear because they were just a few miles away, right, the transmitter. But it didn't matter. You watch CBS, you watch ABC, and each of the networks had a different way of being bad. Like the, the transmission was bad in a different way. And you got to know what station you were on because you know, ABC was bad this way, CBS this way, and NBC this way. And there was this time that I had a, a fit when my oldest brother made me wash dishes seven o'clock on a Sunday night, if you can imagine. I had an absolute fit. I was crying my eyes out, even though I knew I could see it the next night at 7.30. Because it was just this thing I had in my head that it was on twice a week. I watched it twice a week. Same with Star Trek, by the way. And the reason why, in case Americans are wondering why, it was aired uh, the, the day before, is it was for ad revenue so that the Canadians in Toronto, you know, the audience for CTV would watch it the Sunday night and get the ad revenue from, those, from that audience as opposed to losing it to NBC the next night. Mm-hmm. So that's why they did that. They don't do that anymore. Almost any show that was carried by the Canadian networks, you could see it on the Canadian network, you could see it on the U.S. network. But Star Trek and The Monkeys pretty much were the only two that I took the time to watch both nights.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah. And you were lucky that way that, that if you did have, you know, some pressing event, you know, a, a family event or something that you absolutely had to miss the Sunday night broadcast, you get another chance. For somebody in California, you miss it on Monday at 7.30. It's not it's coming quite, back.
4: Yeah. No, I know. It's, it's true. It's, it's hard to believe. But I mean, it really was like watching it live. Like, like today, you have to watch a sports event alive. Back then, you had to watch any TV. <laughs> when it aired, or you just yeah. didn't see it. there was no other, no other way of seeing it. So that's true, that's true. Come on, Davey, quit fooling around. What TV show was she watching? Ours, I hope. Oh, well, I do have a memory specific to Canadians concerning the music, and that is the chum disc jockey trying to explain what was going on with the third single. Of course, this was a little bit me, a little bit you, with the B-side, She Hangs Out. It was something like, we have the single, but we can't play it, or we did have it, but we don't anymore. And I remember being thoroughly confused. I recall him kind of laughing because it just was so crazy to him. And um, when I did go to buy it, the girl I knew somewhere was on the B-side because it was the reissued version. And years later, of course, I found out that um, Canada played quite a role in the ousting of Donnie Kirchner, so I you know, was kind of happy about that. The Monkees were on this roller coaster ride, and this is an example of it, um, where crazy things were happening out of their control, and we, the original fans, were being dragged along behind them uh, in utter confusion, in this case, with
1: them on this incredible ride. Other than watching the television show and buying records... How else did your fandomness express itself? I'll start with, with Jeff. Were there any other things that you did to you know support the monkeys or show your love for the monkeys? Did you have well, a lunchbox? <laughs> well,
3: had the lunchbox. Actually, I, I did get a lot of merchandise. And it's, it's been one of the, the saddest parts of my life that, of course, as you're a kid, you give all that away. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, I had the board game. I had the puzzles. Um, I had shirts. Um, I remember succinctly going in to buy monkey shades, which were these sunglasses that had no no ends to it. They just sat on your nose. And, it, you know, they had a picture of Davey wearing these things, and they were $5. And I swear, I must have saved my allowance up for months to get these. <laughs> and, you know, like anything like that, within th- three or four weeks, they're broken. Yeah. You mm-hmm. know, I have, I have the monkey's hand puppet which was great when it came and now you just pull the string and it goes <laughs> But I had the monkey's hand puppet. Okay, um, what did
1: what but, did that but, hand puppet do when you Yeah, really. What did it do?
3: Oh, each each monkey would say something.
1: Oh. Was it
2: in their voices? That yes, type, I mean that might voices. sound like a weird question, but
3: Yeah. No, Mattel used to have a lot of pull the strings and and, you know, toys like that. So it was but, like a
1: catchphrase like like um, don't do that <laughs> or you must be joking. Mm. Pretty much.
3: I wish I could remember exactly what they said. I'm sure it's online somewhere. Ken, there's your research study for the day. Ah,
2: excellent. Actually, I think there
3: are videos on YouTube that, that have the monkey's hand puppet. You know, we joked earlier about, you know, did I go buy the fan magazines? You know, I did. Um, Which ones? Well, Tiger Beat and 16 Magazine were the two biggest ones. Um, Tiger Beat because they had the access to the guys. But, you know, even at 7, I was embarrassed buying it because, you know, as a guy, you're not supposed to like the monkeys. All all my other friends were into Batman and the Green Hornet, which I was into as well. But, you know, it was the monkeys that, that hit home for me.
2: Well, I suffered the same kind of thing in the 70s when I was uh, coming up as a Kiss fan. Sure, you would have things like Rock Solid Magazine or Cream Magazine or whatever, Circus, but you would also have 16 Magazine, and I remember getting weird looks every so often. There'd uh, be Andy Gibb and... Leaf Garrett and the Village people and the Bee Gees and you know and I I just wanted the cool Kiss pictures you know, so it was kind of weird. Uh, people would kind of razz you. I would always kind of sneak that magazine into the bottom of the pile if a friend was coming over.
3: <laughs> oh, listen! I used to get my butt kicked for Like the monkeys and no two ways about it. I'd have a monkeys you know bookmark bookcase on my stuff and I, oh, I I just used to get my butt handed into me in spades.
2: Are, are, are you speaking literally?
3: Oh, I'm speaking literally. When you're seven years old and, and, you know, everyone else is into much harder stuff, you know, the Beatles and the Hendrix and all that kind of stuff, and I have my little monkey's lunchbox. Oh, no, I got my <laughs> ass kicked. You know, the hard part is, you know, anytime that you're, you're unique or different, that's when the bullying starts. Yes, and, exactly. And I, I must say, I've always had a, a fondness for great pop bubblegum music. Mm -hmm. Um, I like Bobby Sherman, I like the Partridge family. You know, there's, it's that type of sound that I enjoy and I fell right into the marketing. So I'd, I'd buy the monkey shirt and then they'd, you know, make fun of me because of it. Or I'd buy the Partridge family, you know, cassette and get the same type of crap for it. But it's just, you know, as a guy, I'm supposed to be following the Lakers. I'm not supposed to be following, you know, the monkeys.
1: Jeff, did you have friends who were also Monkeys fans?
3: Uh, lightly, but not not like you know the other series, not like Batman or Green or Hornet. Was huge at the time, and and you know, yeah, we we play and we'd practice the Monkeys walk. But if we were going to recreate an episode, it was going to be the Riddler versus Batman, right. not necessarily you know a Monkeys episode. But
1: mm-hmm. well, I just like the idea of you and your friends recreating episodes. I'm like wholeheartedly endorsing that memory. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Can we throw the same question to Karen about not, not only being bullied or, or picked upon, having friends who are fans, but also, you know, how did you express your fandom?
4: I bought the teen magazines, of course. I was extremely picky about the photographs that went on the wall in my bedroom. Okay. Uh-huh. Flip magazine had like a newspaper quality to them, um, newsprint, whereas 16 and Tiger Beat had the glossy 8x10s. The Henry Diltz photographs—they um, were on my wall across from the bed in a pyramid, with Davy at the top. And every time a cleaning lady would walk in, we'd hear the scream, because because she would forget they were there, and it was like they were staring at her. As she would she would complain that they were staring at her. She was doing the the cleaning of my room. They were a fixture there for years, and I would replace them, of course. Just thinking about them now, I taste and smell grape bubble gum. Because at the same time I bought the magazines, I was buying The Great Bubblegum. But because I grew up in suburbia, it was a bus ride to buy a record or to buy or, or quite a bit of a walk to get, um, to get the magazines. So as far as, as other marketing is concerned, I did have the eight button. Red shirt. We have a memory of this that it did not fit me and it was scratchy as hell. And (laughs) it it didn't, yeah, it was very scratchy and it didn't turn me into a monkey, Ken. I don't know why. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't look like a monkey. I looked ridiculous in the thing. I mean, I looked just ridiculous. And um, the other memory that I have is that I really wanted the lunchbox and my mother refused to buy it because she had this dumb reason. I came home for lunch. I didn't, eat, I didn't eat lunches. Go, oh, yeah, Melanie. Exactly. I mean, what a dumb reason to not buy the lunchbox. I wasn't buying it to use it, right? I was buying it because it was the thing to have. So there was a dumb reason not to buy it. I thought. So yeah, I came home for lunch, so that I, I unlike Jeff, I did not get the lunchbox. Unfortunately, those, those photographs on the wall I would ex- I would change them out right with the, with the next issue So it was always constantly changing and my favorites were the ones from monkeys marooned when they were wearing the safari hats I loved those yeah. photographs yeah uh-huh. if I was going to collect anything today in the way of a photograph it would be one of those mm-hmm. wow. yep yep um, and of course the records which you mentioned. The lunchbox was a was a huge problem the lunchbox and the other thing is kind of um related to this is that i heard the music on a hi-fi okay in mono so i always find it funny when ken and the guys talk about the superior mono mix of blah 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 give us nothing superior about my parents crappy old hi-fi i mean you had to pick the <laughs> needle up and put it down that's how freaking old it was and so my mother heard constantly Mom, when are we getting a stereo? That was constantly. And you know her whole attitude was, you have a color TV, what is your problem? Well, I'm sorry, we you know, we're not poor and other people have stereos. So like what what gives here? So <laughs> it was truly a bone of contention. Mom, when are we getting a stereo? And we never got one during the course of uh, my fandom, unfortunately.
1: Wow. Yeah, but you got to watch The monkeys twice a week, so shut oh, up. Wow, that's <laughs> very true. That's very true. And as for, uh, what
4: was the other question you asked, Jeff? You asked about friends? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, all my girlfriends were fans. Kathy was a Peter fan. Judy was a Mickey fan. It actually worked out quite well. And, and Paula, the weird girl that I mentioned earlier, was a Mike fan. And um, the boys, of course, watched the show because they complained about it every Monday morning, every Tuesday morning, they complained. They complained about how they weren't playing their instruments, that they were faking it, but yet they were watching the show. So it's really kind of funny. And as I had mentioned in the headquarters uh, broadcast, the constant, constant refrain from them was um, about the music. It wasn't a complaint about the TV show. It was a complaint that they were not playing their instruments, um, that they didn't play their instruments, that they were fake and you girls are stupid, was basically their attitude that we were stupid for not figuring this out. Um. Yeah, I would really love to run into those two boys
1: today and (laughs) kind of say,
4: yeah, 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 yeah.
1: (laughs) I have to say, I recently watched uh, A Hard Day's Night on DVD. I was astonished watching way the Beatles really were playing their songs on that film. Right. And and realizing how crude the faking it was on the TV show. Yep. And and I, I didn't really appreciate how crude that faking was until I watched Ringo playing the drums on Hard Days nights and Right, right, right. Yeah, okay, well, I see it now. Yeah,
4: exactly. And I, I and I, and I see it now too.
1: It was a big thrill for me to
4: see the four of them as bad as the footage is from the justice tour in england Uh that was the biggest thrill i mean as an original fan my impression of mickey drumming from the tv show was just like a -a rat-a-tat-tat right and it was it was camera attractive and his face was up because he was usually the one singing and there he was commanding this honking huge uh set drum set and Mm -hmm. and playing them i'm putting some quotations well for real because i don't want people to think that i I don't think he was playing them when they recorded the, the performance for the TV show he was playing them, but he wasn't playing them yeah. the way he played the drums live uh, during that, those concerts. That was a huge, huge thrill. It was one of those so-there moments to yeah. the guys in the orchard, right?
1: hmm Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Although I have to say there's a moment in um, Monkeys on Tour, I think the song is Mary Mary. It's towards the middle of the episode. Mickey is singing Mary Mary, he is playing Mary Mary on the yep. drums, and then Davey comes up behind him and grabs a set of sticks and takes uh-huh. over the drumming. Right, well, that right. That is one of the most amazingly real and impressive moments of I know. footage I know. in that whole episode. The fact that they actually could do that, have Davey take over the drums in the middle of the song.
4: Right. Well, of course, the talk has been that Davy should have been the drummer uh, because he had the natural rhythm to do so. Uh, but it was—it wasn't in their hands. I mean, you yeah. know, it wasn't up to them. They told Mickey, "You're the drummer," so there was really no choice there. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 would Davey have disappeared behind the drums? I don't know. I mean, I can see him being a drummer. He's got that kind of, kind of look. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's but uh, not up to us.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay. Now, you have to do some work. Everybody clap your hands. Come on. Clap your hands.
1: I really won't do it anymore. Come on, I'll show you. I'm in mean, I, such good faith, I'll leave you. Now you gotta leave the microphone here. That's no fair. I gotta leave the microphone. i really, I'm through. I won't do it anymore.
0: Mary, 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 wait, go to Mary, Mary, wait, go to Mary, 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 you... Mike?
2: A lot of people will say that they love the monkeys' music, and some people say they love the TV show or both, but what was it that really grabbed you first, Jeff? Was it the music or the TV show? And then we'll ask w- Karen the same question.
3: It was the music. It was that first album. I mean, that was a joyous first album. I know from a critical standpoint, you, we've picked it apart, and you did a great job of picking it apart on on previous podcasts. Um, but the songs the songs are just full of joy and love. And, you know, how many kids didn't try to recreate Gonna Buy Me a Dog? Learn all the lines. I mean, I, I remember when I got in high school, I actually met a guy that surprised me that knew all the words to Gonna Buy Me a Dog. Mm-hmm. But, you know, realistically, from a critical standpoint, it's, it's stupid. But it was that first album that, that got me hooked.
2: So it was the, the music. Karen, same question to you. Music or TV show that grabbed you first?
4: Oh, TV show. I'm I'm positive I didn't buy that first album or the uh, Clarksville single until I saw the TV show.
2: Uh Excellent. Now, since you were both very young, Jeff, you were 6 and 7, and how old were you, Karen, at this time?
4: In 66, I was 10.
2: You were 10. What did your parents think? And Karen will go with you. What, what did your parents think of the monkeys, uh, your, your new addiction, as it were, for their 10-year-old daughter? What did your parents think about the monkeys?
4: I don't think I got much feedback, Ken. <laughs> <laughs> Oddly <laughs> enough, we had the one hi-fi and it was the family's AM FM receiver and the place that you played records. So I probably drove my mom crazy with uh, Uh, you know, with playing those records, but I mean, as far as the TV show is concerned, my dad had a problem with any man who had long hair. This was disgusting to him. Uh And there was this one time, he never really said anything. I'll have to give him this, okay? He came downstairs early, as he often did, five minutes to eight, on a Monday night. And he caught Peter saying that, uh, declaring the hippie movement dead. And because, and I'm paraphrasing, the... Corporate America had taken over their uh, sayings, their symbols, and Dad muttered, "God help us all," because for him, the idea of Oldsmobile coming out with an ad that said, "The new Oldsmobile, can you dig it?" was absolutely horrifying to him. I mean, you know, hippie stuff. Okay, keep it, keep it where it is. How dare you infiltrate my world mm-hmm. <laughs> with this stuff? But the thing that I remember the most about the grown-ups, is the fact that Kathy's mother said something to us once. We were in her basement watching the Emmys when the monkeys won. We're yelling and screaming, Kathy and I were going crazy, as kids will do, and her mother turned to us and with such serious, seriousness said, you won't always feel this way. What do you mean, we'll always love the monkeys? No, yeah. no, nope, nope. someday you'll wonder what all the fuss was. And Kathy and I looked at each other like, what is she talking about? But you know what? Even at that age, you know you're going to grow up and you're going to be like your parents. And they're not jumping around to Frank Sinatra and yelling and screaming. So there was a slight little bit of doubt when we looked at each other. and was almost like a pact. We said, oh, no, we'll always love the monkeys, won't we? And what is weird is that it's true. What, what Kathy's mother said is true. Because I stopped being a fan, but it's also wrong because I am once again a fan, Uh right? So, um, but a fan in a different sort of way and for different reasons than when I was ten, eleven, twelve.
2: Right. You're you're not screaming at the television or YouTube when you see them now. It's, uh, you know, a little more mature. Yeah, I would say slightly, but not much. Let's be honest. (laughs) Um, I mean, we we are doing a monkeys podcast. I finally
4: heard their music in stereo. Uh huh. Okay, because you have to realize I never heard it in stereo other than on the oldies but goldies uh-huh. in, the, in the 80s. So I would hear it, but I never heard the theme, the theme song in stereo. So the very first time I heard that, I backed away from the speakers, I had three of them, and I really did let out the exact kind of similar thing that I did the night the monkeys won the Emmy. You know, it just overwhelmed with joy. At hearing this after all these years. So, like I say, she was right and she was wrong. Hmm.
2: Jeff, did you have any f- friends that were fans of the monkeys at all? And did you know of the female fans of the monkeys that were maybe at your school? What did you think of them as well?
3: Well, there were tons of female fans that loved the monkeys, but. You know, when when you're a kid, you you don't hang around girls. Mm-hmm. You know, girls girls have cooties. <laughs>
2: well, that, so that cootie thing is a something that you have to take into account.
3: So that's true. But when you're you know when you're a kid, it's just you you don't looking for females that have the same love that you have. I mean, we joked earlier in this podcast about um, Davy Jones being you know a, you know the first crush. Well, he wasn't my first crush but he was my first hero growing up. You know, I wanted to be like Davey. So, you know, I'm I'm carrying around that with guys that want to go out and throw the ball and play football and, and do the stuff that I wasn't into. So it's it's kind of hard to, to get involved with a girl who likes the monkeys, you know, when you're that young.
0: Right.
2: And Karen, let's kind of flip that question around to you. We know that you had friends who loved the monkeys, but were there any boy fans that you were aware of?
4: Yeah, um, two boys in sp- uh, particular, Norman and Grant, who watched the show as much as we did, and we would discuss it the next day. But they were the—they were hypercritical about the music, and it was really annoying because it was, you know, get off of that, just just leave it alone. Just can't you just enjoy the show for what it is and the music for what it is? I mean, you know, stop going on about how they're faking it because that was the big thing with them is in fact it was an episode and I don't know which one it was but they spotted a tape recorder beside Mickey as he was drumming and this was proof positive as far as they were concerned that we weren't hearing them we were hearing what was on the mic on the the, uh, tape recorders (laughs) and I mean it was convoluted logic. I mean, I know why the tape recorder was there. They had to lip sync and finger, finger sync to something, and it was, so it was probably the recording of I'm a Believer or whatever. Um, but this, they would come up with these bizarre little things that they would notice that would be proof positive that because they were they were faking it, therefore they were a fake band. This was the logic that they had, okay? This is pre-headquarters. All right. So before before all of that happened, this was the the boys saying, "Can't you girls tell? Are you so stupid that you can't tell that they're obviously faking playing their instruments? If they could really play their instruments, they'd be playing their instruments. They are. That's the record. Can't you tell? It's the record. And they wouldn't get off of that." Um, and then of course, the whole comparison with the Beatles thing was just never went away. Um, of course, we know how un- unfair that was, but I mean, that was just who you compared anybody to. And what's kind of interesting is I found out from an older boy who was a friend of my brother's how those first two albums were made. I, was, I found out Halloween 1967. Kathy and I are going through our loot looking for chocolate and he pops his head in. he sees the photographs on the wall and he tells us how the music was being made in Los Angeles he told us all about the wrecking crew Mm -hmm. so that was a little piece of information that we had that no other fans at the time had and he told us to be proud of the monkeys because Mm -hmm. they were keeping the secret that was being kept uh, from the public Um, about all these bands, and we know who the suspects are, who were not playing on those albums, and the monkeys weren't doing anything different in that respect, and he told us to, to um, have respect for them because they were keeping the secret and being unfairly um, pointed out as being the only ones who were doing this. Hmm. Uh, and then he pointed to each of them, I mean, he really, really, really knew the music industry, he really did. And he told us what was wonderful about each of them, and we know that, I won't go into it. But I mean, he knew stuff that unless you knew people who knew people, mm-hmm. uh, you wouldn't have known about each monkey at the time.
1: Yeah. Karen, I was thinking back when you mentioned those two boys who were hyper watching the, the episodes looking for proof, Yeah. I wonder if they noticed in the opening scene of Too Many Girls that that actually is a live-to-tape performance of Stone that is interrupted when Davy gets frozen. Um, it's the first time the monkeys were actually seen actually playing on, right, on the set right. of the show. Um, I just treasure that moment, even though it only lasts for a few seconds. That's yeah.
4: Really- yeah, I know. yeah, it's real. I-, I wish there were more of that. You know, of those little moments. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, Mm -hmm. It was just, you know, it's just part of it was being a 12, 11, 12-year-old annoying boy. You know what I mean? Like part of it was just to annoy the girls. Right. And to make us feel like we were inferior. Mm -hmm. That was part of it, a huge part of it. But, you know, the fact that they were actually watching the show, you know, what does that tell you? They loved it. (laughs) They liked it. They were one of those fans. Those fans liked it but didn't admit they liked it. And the way that they got away with with watching it was by picking apart the musical performances. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It was sort of like to offset the fact that they watched it. They gave it kind of, well, you know, we only watch it to pick apart the
1: musical yes. performances. We're going to catch those dastardly monkeys. <laughs> did you girls see that tape recorder? That's proof. It's proof. We now have solid proof. You don't need proof beyond watching Mickey adjust his microphone in the middle of a song. Oh yeah, that that that's
4: hysterically funny to me now. It's like, oh gosh, I I just I just love that moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny. It's funny.
1: Did either of you ever get to see a concert
4: in the '60s? No. No.
3: No. They only played once. They played at the Hollywood Bowl, and you know this is where we sound old. There was no ticketmaster. Yeah. There was no. You know, you stood in line at the Hollywood Bowl, and no. I mean, my parents love me, but they're not going into Hollywood and stand in line for hours.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, April 2nd, 1967, Maple Leaf Gardens. No, I was not there. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just one of those wish fulfillment things. And and I'd reason I wasn't there, well, the tickets sold out within hours.
1: Mm-hmm. And it was
4: 18200 I think it was one of their largest arenas that they played. Mm-hmm. And Chum, C-H-U-M. Toronto. Yeah, that stuck in my brain, too, forever. Uh, they ran a contest, of course, for a couple of free tickets. And I was always the fourth caller when they wanted the fifth caller. And I was always the sixth caller when they wanted the third caller. And, you know, it was just so frustrating.
1: And, you just, and there was no speed dial back then? No I mean,
4: speed dial. I would run into the kitchen. I'd, I'd bully my mother out of the way. <laughs> Put my fingers, my fat fingers, into the dial, which was insanely slow. Oh, My yeah. goodness, it was so slow, and then you get, and then you get the dial tone, and then you put it hang up, and then you do it again. I mean, it was just so horribly uh, unfair. I, I can't think yeah. of any. Horrible, yeah, unfair. <laughs> I remember doing that too. <laughs> yep. But yep.
3: Karen, I'm sure the sad part between both of us is we have more than made up for missing that first concert.
4: My dream is to see them. Is to see Mike back a proper, a proper concert, like 2012, 13, 14, where they play headquarters. Cause again, that's a huge thrill for me. Yeah, it really is. And by the way, okay, this is one of those monkey memories that I'd like to forget.
1: <laughs> Sorry. Set it up. Set it up. Okay.
4: okay yeah. I did see them, but I don't consider it as the monkeys. Oh my goodness. I am one of those mythical fans. You've only heard of as a myth. You think they're mythical. I saw The Monkees with Sam and the Good Timers.
1: Oh my goodness. That was 69, right? 69 in Toronto. They
4: did come here because I missed April 2nd. It was uh, something on my to-do list. I want to see The Monkees in concert. So Paula, the Mike fan, the only the only friend that I had that was still a fan of The Monkees, we were given permission to go all the way downtown uh, by streetcar and subway. To the CNE grounds, the Canadian National Exhibition, hottest day in August, sitting in that stand, the grandstand, and they finally announce the monkeys, and the three of them come out. The three of them come out. And I say, Where's Peter? And the fans around me say, He quit. Don't you know that? Like, like what is wrong with you? Well, I'd stop reading. Sixteen yeah. Magazine and, and Tiger Beat and I didn't know, and there was no entertainment tonight. And I said, why isn't Mickey drumming? Why are they they not playing as a band? And who are these black guys? It was the most, I mean, Mike has said, what did the fans think? Well, Mike, (laughs) I can tell you what I thought. I thought this is not the Monkees because it wasn't Monkees on tour. It wasn't wasn't what I expected. It Uh was this kind of facsimile of the Monkees. The music, the music didn't sound at all like I'm a believer. It really did sound like R&B. Um, and there was this kind of, I have to say, this slight air of desperation about the whole thing. Um, the, the place was packed. They played two concerts. There is actually 8 millimeter silent black and white footage on the Internet, on, on YouTube. And I am in that stand somewhere in that crowd. <sighs> I mean, I I yelled and screamed. I did everything a fan was supposed to do that I'd seen, you know, fans do. But at the same time, there was a part of me saying, "This isn't the monkeys. This just isn't the monkeys." Which is why, like I just said, with seeing the four of them play as a band, Justice Tour, you know, it's it's warts and all. Doesn't matter to me. That is what I expected to see at the grandstand, August of '69, and I didn't. So, it's funny that I almost blocked it out of my memory. that's a trip. There's something else I've blocked out of my memory. April of 69, I come down the basement stairs to the rec room, and I'm so excited because the monkeys are back on television. And that is the last memory I have of 33 and a third per monkey. I read nothing beyond coming down those stairs and being excited. It is a complete and absolute blank. Kind of like I'd been in an accident and I had like amnesia. And when I finally caught up with 33 and a third in 2012, I said, oh my gosh, this was selective amnesia. Because I truly don't remember seeing any of this originally. And you would think something would have stuck in my mind from that broadcast, but absolutely nothing. It, it's just a complete blank From the moment that I came down the stairs, excited to see them. And then there's nothing until 2012 when I finally caught up with the... And, Ken, you know what I'm saying here, don't you? Because you Uh don't have uh, too much love for that special.
2: No, it's incredibly forgettable. As a matter of fact, I think that it was your psyche uh, trying to save you.
4: Uh, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying just like if you've been in a bad accident, you don't remember the accident. You remember before. You remember waking up in the hospital. Well, uh-huh. it was sort of like that. <laughs> it's sort of like that. It's like I, I, don't remember the actual accident. I just remember before and I remember after,
1: and that's it. Jeff, did you see 33 and a third?
3: No, but keep in mind that 33 and a third aired on the same day as the Academy Awards. Now, in the 60s, you know, most families we had one television set. And there was no way my family was going to say, oh, go ahead, Jeff. Watch that monkey special. We'll catch the Academy (laughs) Awards sometime else. I mean, it's just there's no way. And it became Mm -hmm. kind of the the holy grail, you know, for years trying to find someone who had a copy. And I remember it was like the late 70s. I got this really grainy bad copy of 33 and a third said, what the hell have I been looking for this for 10 years for? (laughs)
4: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It was the
3: Julie Driscoll, Brian Auger show.
4: It was. It was. Yeah, yeah. yeah I agree with Mickey. They were like the uh, guest stars. And uh, and the thing that also bothers me looking at it now is the whole manufactured business. I was over it. I mean, why are you going on about it still? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I did not see the movie Head originally playing way downtown mm-hmm. in a grotty area of, of Young Street, the main drag. It was there for a day and a half the review was terrible if i remember in the toronto paper so nobody was going to drive me downtown to see that and so 33 and a third was like to make up for head right because i didn't see it and i and this idea that the fans no longer cared well that's not true because why was i so excited to see them back on tv right so there was still a bit of a fan base there and the fact that i made the trip all the way down to the grandstand but I, I, you know, you, you talk about why you, Why did you, how did you not become a fan? Like, what happened? That your, the love for the guys or your interest waned. Well, it was just kind of, for me, a series of disappointments. And it's really, really rotten of me to put this on the guys. But there was part of me, because they were my heroes. Okay, they had fought this fight. They had won. And I wanted them to keep winning.
1: Yeah. Right? So when
4: Head got this awful review, it was like, oh, guys, come on, you got to prove the critics wrong. You know, I know you're better than this. Oh, come on, because they were my heroes, is the way I was mm-hmm. thinking about them. And it's really, really not right of me to have put that on them. But that is what an 11-, 12-, 13-year-old girl is. I mean, you know. Yeah.
1: Well, you were 11-, 12-, 13. They were 24-, 25-, 26. Right. And this was sophisticated deconstruction of the mythos, not just pure entertainment. It, it was sardonic and bleak, is how I describe it.
3: Well, and you know, I was driven down to the cinema Flex to watch it, and my mother saw the, the rating at the time it was an M, and she says, I can't let you see an M-rated movie. I'd never seen an M-rated movie before.
4: What was M for? M. Mature. Mature, Mature. okay. And so,
3: okay. no, we turned around and, and went home, and it, it, it broke my heart, but... I, no, it's a, and the only reason it's mature is because of that stupid gunfire scene yeah. from VietCon. And it's just like was that really necessary? Oh, wait. They want to destroy all the things we love. Well then I guess it's okay.
1: But I mean let's see, you would have been what, nine? I was eight. Eight that is... n I'm sorry, I, I'm I'm protecting your eight year old psyche now. Yeah. That's not yeah. a suitable movie for an eight year old. I my God. Yeah.
3: No, I agree. It's, it, it still shakes me up now.
1: Yes, I, yeah. I,
3: I hate that scene, I, and, and I, like, I like the dirty Dego, but I, I hate that scene.
1: Well, the thing that, that always makes me really sad, and I found a way around it, is at the very end, when they're trapped in a tank and pounding on the glass and holding their breaths. Sure. I mean, that yeah. strikes something primal in my in my psyche, but somebody gave me the clue on how to get around that, and that is when they're swimming away, just before that scene, Uh huh. close your eyes. Just mm. listen to the end of the song, but close your eyes. Because then they're swimming away to freedom. They're under their own power and they're free.
4: Which is actually much more true to the real story. And a much better ending for the movie. A much better ending Hello, to the Mr. movie. Hello, oh. Mr. Rafelson. <laughs> uh, and please put back the scenes you cut out of Mike getting out of the black box. Because then the, the movie might actually make sense. Well, I mean, I've seen it many times since 2012, and um, I think the first half is brilliant. I think the second half is a muddled mess because it was almost like Rafelson yanking out the part where Mike cons his way out of the black box and cons his way past all these characters that we've seen previously in the movie mm-hmm. only to find himself back in the box. By taking that out, is almost like he needed to f- put filler in. And so the movie just jumps around, oh, they're in a jail, why are they in a jail, oh, they're in a dungeon, why are they in a dungeon? It doesn't, I, maybe you I have to spend some time analyzing the second half, I don't know. But um, I, I think it was Andrew Sandoval who said that it would make more sense had those scenes remained in the film. And um, they were filmed, I mean, it's not like they weren't. Right. And Mickey, and Mickey's, apparently Mickey's um, getting out of the black box too, to some was filmed.
1: No, was, I'm trying to remember. I thought he talked his way out. but he, he talked his way out. And we see a little
4: bit of that at the very, very end mm-hmm. when things go crazy. Yeah, I've tried to deconstruct that film. I've actually tried to take it apart and put it back together again, you know, re-editing it. And, um, yeah, <laughs> that second half is still a problem.
3: <laughs> now, see, here, here's, where, here's where I might differ. To me, Head was one of the biggest disappointments of my childhood. And it continues to be because, as Melanie mentioned, it's the deconstruction of the monkeys. And no matter how many times I watch it, they're tearing apart what I fell in love with in 1966. Mm -hmm. And it just breaks my heart. Yeah.
2: Well, let's talk about the music side of it, because Jeff, what was it like when you heard the music? Since you couldn't see the movie, what did you think when you heard that disc?
3: One of my favorite stories. I got the single first. So, the single was the Porpoise Song and As We Go Along. Okay? Mm-hmm. So, I'm starting to play the Porpoise Song and I'm going, This isn't the Monkees. Wait, let me try the other side. Play As We Go Along, going, That's not the Monkees. And I'm, I'm telling you, much to my chagrin, I started to cry.
0: <laughs>
3: because I didn't, I, are the Monkees becoming like the Beatles where it's not fun music anymore? Is, is this the new direction they're going? It, it wasn't what I had on my first two albums. It mm-hmm. wasn't what I saw on the television screen. It was it, it was just like and I you know, it was awful. It was just awful.
1: hmm. I mean they're beautiful I, I mean, songs, but of course they are, and yeah. as you get
3: older you appreciate them and the Carol King I it's wonder I get it. But you know, boy, they just wanted to kick us in the gut for liking the monkeys and they did a great job of it.
4: Mhm. Who who's they, Jeff?
3: The Rafelson Schneider oh. Powers that mm-hmm. be
1: yeah. But, but weren't the monkeys themselves making, deciding what was going to be on the, the single at that point? Haven't they I, maintained control over that part of it?
3: I don't know, but then we can get into a discussion of, you know, should they have bri- branched out like they did in Head, or should have they stayed more in the TV series mode? It's, yeah. it's a great discussion.
1: If you could have had another single, or a different single, from Head, you know, would you have put, like, Circle Sky and, and Long Title on it or something?
3: Well, again, listen to what was on the radio in '68. That I don't know where you'd go. Yeah. From the, the only album, to be song. honest with you, I mean, they weren't they weren't looking to make hit singles. You know, Don Kirshner mm-hmm. was long gone. I mean, they're all they're all great songs, and I enjoy them. But you know, as a kid, the only one when I got the album, the only one I really liked was Daddy's Song, because Daddy's Song was like a monkey's record.
2: That's exactly yeah. what I was going to say. The only song that makes sense. If you want something that sounds like Early Monkeys, Daddy's song is the only one that fits. Mm-hmm. And for just those same reasons. You beat me to it.
1: Karen, did you get the the head album as well or
4: no <laughs> <laughs> I mean I the first album I got was the first album. Uhhuh. Okay, so their debut album and I, I remember kissing the photographs on that front on the cover. I mean, you know, I just mooned over those photographs. To, to get a record, because I was in suburbia, mom had to drive me to the record store, or somebody uh-huh. did, or we had to go on a big hike, or take a bus. So, but I had the first four albums, absolutely, mm-hmm. all the singles. Let me tell you which piece of music began the beginning of the end for me as far as the music was concerned, and that was D.W. Washburn. Um, it did not sound like the monkeys. If you put in order Pleasant Valley Sunday words, Adrian, Believer, Valerie. Those four songs blasted out of my AM radio that I had beside my bed. And then you come to D.W. Washburn. Now, I kind of appreciate the song now in a way that I didn't then. Mm-hmm. The, Mo- the monkeys kept changing their sound. When you think about it. You have the first album was studio sound, musicians. The, the same with the second album. Then the third album, you had the garage sound of the four of them. Then you have what I call the Psychedelic album, Pisces, Aquarius, Capricorn, and Jones Limited. I was with them through all of that. Okay? I was with them through all the changes because as they were maturing, my music sensibility was changing and what I was hearing was what I was hearing on the radio, hearing from them, so psychedelic, psychedelic, fine. D.W. Washburn, even if I didn't know that it was a throwback to 1965, I knew it didn't belong with the monkeys and it didn't belong with what I was hearing on the radio. Okay. And when I flipped it over to the B side, yeah, I was a Davy fan, but I never liked a schmaltzy songs. So and to me, it's nice to be with you it was a bit on the slow, draggy schmaltzy side. I did buy, listened to the band, always loved it. And here's what's really, really telling because we know that the record sales declined. I never bought the birds, the bees and the monkeys. And I'll tell you why, because it's not that the TV show ended, it's the way it ended. Jeff, you're turned off by head, I was turned off by where the second season went. And Melanie, Melanie you and I have had this conversation, uh, mm-hmm. privately I believe, when the TV show, when the episodes became a lot looser, the plots disappeared, there, was, there wasn't an ending to a lot of the episodes, there was the attitude that they would rather be doing something else maybe they were stoned in a couple of scenes oh my goodness they're turning into my hippie brother (laughs) and the last thing I was gonna want for them was for them to turn into my hippie brother because my father had made it clear that the hippie thing was something he did not approve of so dad fed me right he put the roof over my head And here's the monkeys turning into my brother, and my dad has made it clear that he did not approve of my brother's lifestyle. So sort of caught in between in a funny sort of way. And at the same time, I was turned off by the fact that, and a lot of people will get really upset with me, but to me, the kick in the stomach that Jeff was talking about was Mickey turning to the camera and saying, isn't that dumb?
1: (laughs) Isn't that dumb?
4: Because it was like he was saying to me, "This is dumb. Why are you watching?"
1: Uh-huh.
4: Yeah, and I—it's really hard to explain. But if you had thrown rotten apples in their defense, you would understand how it felt like um, he was disrespecting me, mm-hmm. right? And and he was—he was, he was well, almost a betrayal of the fans who would put him in this place where he could have a TV show. Yeah, you know, to have this this very and be very very famous and hobnob with the Beatles mm-hmm. and the Who and have all these crazy adventures. Don't, don't turn on the fans as, as in telling them that you've got something better to do and what you're doing on top of that is something that you think is stupid. It, it, just, it made me, to this day, it bothers me when he says that. Yes, I see how people think it's funny, but if you're a boy and you're a 12 year old boy at the time, a snarky Mickey was something you would have identified with. Mm -hmm. But a 12-year-old girl does not think a snarky 12-year-old boy is funny any more than Mickey was funny. His snark is not funny. So that's what happened to me. It wasn't that the show ended because I was devastated. I couldn't believe it was off the air. But then again, the twice-a-week habit from the first season Mm -hmm. and the the first half of the second season with episodes like Monkeys Maroon, which I love, and... um, What else was in there? Monkey Mayor. Uh These were episodes that still hung together. They had a plot. They had an ending. I could identify with the guys. They were the same guys that I saw in the first season. Even if Mickey was acting a little bit weirder, they were still in character. The second half of the second season, they were... The characters that they had played just disappeared. I mean, think about it. It was so bizarre. For any other TV show, for the actors, to start playing themselves instead of their characters, and how disconcerting that was. I mean, if Leonard Nimoy had turned to the camera and said, "I can't believe how dumb this episode is. <laughs> I mean, a steel braziered alien has stolen my brain." I mean, I would have. You would have freaked out. You would have freaked out. Oh my God! What's wrong with Mr. Spock? Is telling me that this is a dumb episode. Yeah. Right, and that's what Nicky was doing. He's telling me what he's doing is dumb. He knows it's dumb. And then he, in, in, in a way, he's telling me I'm dumb for watching. Mm-hmm. So I stopped watching twice a week. I watched once a week, and I know there were at least two episodes that I missed entirely. Why did I miss them? Maybe because I didn't want to be made fun of. Yeah. Do you remember which ones they were? Well, Monkey, monkey on the monkeys on the Wheel. Is it Monkey on the Wheel? Mm-hmm. That's, that's got to be the... Las Vegas.
1: Las Vegas episode, uh, probably. Sorry, go ahead. So that one's got two, isn't that dumb's in it? Yeah. And then you've got Mike saying
4: saying to us, "Hey kids, you think this scene is funny? We're gonna show you why you think it's funny. See, we tricked you into thinking it was funny. Ha ha ha." Mm -hmm. And then you you just just add that to some of the episodes where it was almost like a skit. It was no Mm -hmm. longer. A situation comedy that hung together it was like they were playing at being actors in this TV show instead of having some seriousness and, and applying themselves I guess is what I'm saying yeah. and then you add the stone I mean you know I was 12 in six, in 68 I was chewing grape bubblegum I wasn't ready for Cheech and Chong uh-huh. I just wasn't I, I'm yeah. sorry And it it was kind of a little bit scary. It was a little bit like the way Jeff felt about head. This is the way I felt about that last half of the second season. Oh, whoa. Where are you guys going with this? I can't go there with you. I'm only 12. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's always there's always hope. Okay. (laughs) The hope springs eternal. And the hope was the movie that was going to come out. Okay. Because they were going to be movie stars. Mm hmm. I saw that in teen
1: magazines that they were like, it's okay, kids. The movie's coming. (laughs) Exactly. And
4: believe me. Nobody from television moved to movies. They were two separate spheres. You had movie stars, you had TV stars. Mm-hmm. And they, too, did not cross. So if you had told me at the time that The Flying Nun was going to win two Oscars in the future, I would say, you're nuts. Because nobody was taken seriously mm-hmm. as an actor in television to become a movie star and win Oscars. My God, never. So this was being held out like a carrot You know, that they're going to be movie stars, so it's okay, kids. And it was okay because I thought, wow, for them to become movie stars, this was a step up in the world.
1: Surprise!
3: Beyond, from here to eternity. They can't be the Marx brothers, they're too young. Columbia Pictures presents the Monkeys: Mickey, Davy, Mike, Peter in Head. That's right, Head. What's it all about? Only Victor Mature's hairdresser knows for sure. is the most extraordinary adventure western comedy love story mystery drama musical documentary satire ever filmed
2: so we've we've talked about head and we've talked about 33 and a third how did you find out that the show was actually canceled karen
4: Uh, i read it in the paper i believe i believe it was in the globe and mail or the star toronto paper and um couldn't believe it now You have to realize, I was busy saving Star Trek, okay? In my grades, yeah, I mean, I had- You were the one. I was the one, yes. Damn NBC, what were they thinking? (laughs) So, I was putting together the letter writing campaign, you know, my grade six class for, to save Star Trek so there would be a third season. Thank you very much. Yes, thank me. Thank you. (laughs) So we could have Spock's brain. (laughs) Go on. When *The Monkees* was canceled, I can't say. I mean, I was shocked. I was shocked in that something that, that had been so popular and such a huge mm-hmm. part of my life was going to be gone. I had stopped watching. I mean, I wasn't mm-hmm. watching twice a week, and I'd skipped a couple of episodes. I mean, the ratings went down. I mean, because mm-hmm. of fans like myself who drifted away because just didn't like what she, you know she didn't like what she was seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was. I at the same time. I mean, I knew there was this movie, so it was okay, because we, they were going to become movie stars, so, you know, that was good. That was a step up. It was almost mm-hmm. like like a promotion, because, you know, you just didn't become movie stars when you were a TV star. You were a TV star, and that was it. That's all you were. Never became a movie star.
2: Jeff Geringer, how did you react to the cancellation of the TV show?
3: Well, you know, it really wasn't presented as a cancellation to the fans through the fanzines. You know, Tiger Bee Magazine put a positive spin on everything. And when they weren't talking about, you know, what was Peter's favorite flower, they were talking about what was coming up in the future. And there was a lot of hype for the movie. And after the movie, there was a lot of hype for the TV special. So, you always knew that the guys were still going to be there, maybe not every Monday night, but they were never going to stop being part of your lives because of these projects they had coming up. You know, I mean, I didn't read the newspaper when I was eight, so... You know there wasn't something and there there was no internet and there was no you know entertainment programs so what you got is what you were fed by tiger Beat.
2: do you think that the band were kind of surprised that when they went back to nbc and kind of tried to throw their weight around that that they didn't have as much weight as they thought that they did
3: Well, after they saw 33 and a third, my goodness, how could you, you know, (laughs) want to throw more money at that?
2: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Jeff Gerringer, how did you find out that the band actually broke up? And did you follow them through onto changes? Did did, did you happen to pick that up or were you even aware of it?
3: Yes, I was aware of it. And what I picked up was what I got from Tiger Beat and 16 Magazine. I've always been this way. I'm not a Fairweather fan. I followed the monkeys straight through changes, straight through the Saturday morning on ABC. In fact, I really liked the ABC shows because it was, it was kind of affirmation that hey, they're not so bad. Look, they're back. Mm-hmm. Um, even the down periods in the '70s until the Dolans, Jones, and Hart era. You know, I, I, I always stayed with the guys, and you know, here I am, forty nine or fifty five, and still the same.
2: Right. Karen, how did you react to the band breaking up?
4: Well, I guess the order it went was sort of, um, I, was, I was turned off by D.W. Washburn. I never bought The Birds, The Bees, and The Monkeys. I felt guilty the entire 1968 that I hadn't bought that album. It was kind of on my to-do list. I just never did it, and I should have, and I feel bad about it to this day. Literally, I mean, I know that sounds crazy, but I, I feel like I let The Monkeys down by not buying it. I bought Listen to the Band. And that was it. I mean, I didn't buy another album. I didn't buy another single. They faded from AM radio. I saw 33 and a third. Like, I don't remember anything about it, but I know I saw it. And then I saw them at the grandstand at CNE, August of 69. And that's when I found out they had broken up, as in Peter was no longer a member of the group. Uh-huh. And I did not know that. I'd stopped uh, reading Tiger Beat in 16 had become you know a casual fan. I mean I, I obviously made a lot of effort to go see them. I was horribly disappointed that Peter was no longer a member. And that was not the monkeys to me. The Grandstand uh, mm-hmm. in 69 uh, the monkeys with Sam and the good timers it just uh-huh. wasn't. It just the, I don't know who that was, but it wasn't the monkeys. It was sort of like um The Monkeys Review. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was they were there as individuals. You know what I mean? Like they, they of course there was no group playing. Um, And there was no semblance of a band and the music didn't sound like it had and it was uh, a little bit it came across a a little bit desperate on their part and even though the crowd was enthusiastic and it was you know was packed and I was doing everything a fan was supposed to do I mean it was probably the nail in the coffin it really was and at some point the photographs came off the wall. But what's interesting is I didn't throw them out. They sat on my desk, my desk drawer for quite some time. And then at some point I must have thrown them out. So I I have a theory that we fall in love with our pop idols immediately. Like it's, it's, it's infatuation. For me, I grew to love them and respect them. But the falling out of love is a long, painful, Process and it was for me. It was just a series of disappointments where I expected this and instead I got that. To the point where, and at the same time, I was growing up. um, To the point where they just—they just know—they ceased to exist, to use a Star Trek term. (laughs) They ceased to exist. Mm -hmm. They—they were no longer um, part of my life. Um, And you know, the funny thing is, nobody ever replaced them. It's not like Bobby Sherman came along or the Partridge Family. I was too old for them. What replaced the monkeys was the Boston Bruins. Okay, so <laughs> I I became um, a, a, I don't know how you call it a fan. I guess I was a fan of the Bruins because in the early 70s they had these great-looking guys with long hair. I went through my jock stage with uh, with the Boston Bruins. <laughs>
1: Stay tuned for Hockey Talk.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Well, it's true. I mean, I've been thinking about it. I mean, like, who replaced the monkeys? Well, in the, early, in the early 70s, it was the Boston Bruins. It really was. <laughs> cool. They were superstars Ken. at the time. They were. They were like rock stars.
3: Ken, let me tell you one transitional story where we talked about how the band was dwindling down. Um, I used to have a, a music store called Wallach's Music City. It was real popular out here. And I, I bought the album that had Magnolia Sims on it. And I came home and played it and it scratched. I said, well, it's a scratched album. And so I took it back to this guy and I said, listen, it's scratched. They gave me another one. It was still scratched. I took it back again. He said, it can't, can't be scratched in the same place. Let me play it. And he says, oh, no, that's just them being artistic. I said, but it's scratched. He didn't understand. An eight year old didn't quite get Nez's artistic Magnolia Sims crap.
2: The show was canceled, the movie came and went, 33 and a third stopped spinning, and the TV went dark. But, the channel changed, and at some point, the rerun started happening.
0: Here we come, walking down the street, we get the funniest looks from everyone we meet. Hey, hey, we're the monkeys! Say we around
2: Let's take a look We're at how an original singing.
0: fan looked
2: at the rebirth did. of the monkeys in syndication and later on MTV. Jeff Geringer, your thoughts?
3: I can sum it in one word. Affirmation. <laughs> when it showed up on Saturday morning and really when it started showing up on MTV it was just like, see, you bastards. These guys are great. Why did you beat me? Why did you kick me? Why did you, these guys are great. What's wrong with you? And, and when they hit all over again in 86, I can't tell you how much joy that brought me.
2: Karen, same question.
4: I don't really have any memory of watching them on a Saturday morning. Um, I wouldn't have been watching cartoons at that age, so I wouldn't, I might have seen the odd episode, but I mean, you know, I, the monkeys, the TV show was part of my childhood. It wasn't something i was going to watch as a teenager in the 80s in 86 i was thrilled to hear that they had once again become big like huge um and to hear their hit another hit on the radio was a real thrill that was just a thrill and that was affirmation like jeff says affirmation that they had staying power and another moment came in a funny sort of way when i heard daydream believer being used as an ad was it for Amazon? I forgot what it was for. Maybe about five, six, seven years ago. Because we were told that music would never last. It, it was, it was, it wasn't good enough to last. And so there it was being used in an ad all those years later. So that was affirmation as well. But the affirmation for me came in 2012. I'm afraid to say with Davy's death because that's what brought me back to the group. Um, Watching daydream believers video, what we now call a video uh, after you died and going to the Internet like so many people did, and seeing him, you know, walk away, dance away into that rainbow. I, I have a funny porpoise song story as well, because when YouTube stops, of course, all these other monkey songs came up mm-hmm. on the right-hand side. And one of them was porpoise song. Well, I knew nothing of the music of Head. So, and it said, monkeys, porpoise song, and it was like, what on earth is this? I clicked on it, and that was it for me. I went into this months and months and months of listening to their music, you know, with a lot of very happy memories, um, headquarters. I just, with every single cut, I was, oh, I remember this song. Oh, I love this song. I remember this saying with Pisces Aquarius. And then, finally, I heard the music from the birds, the bees, and the monkeys, and I heard the music from Head. And it was this incredible um, experience of, 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 of rediscovery, you know, that all this stuff had happened after I was no longer a fan. Mm-hmm. And then I got kind of angry at myself that I had walked away because look at what I'd missed. But mm-hmm. in, a way, in a way, maybe I was too young to have appreciated the music from head the way I appreciate it now, mm-hmm. right? So maybe this is when I should have heard it as a mature person not when i was 12 years old
2: are you surprised that the monkeys had a rebirth not once not twice but three times and it keeps happening
4: oh definitely i mean i i I, you know at the same time as i was listening to their music i was reading their history and saying well i knew that and i knew that i had no idea about 96 97 no clue about that that's when i discovered those wonderful videos the rebirth like almost every 10 years there seems to be a different like a different version of them in some way but at the same time it's the monkeys it's it's affirmation with every single one of them Mm -hmm. and when i see nez back with the group i I, that is such a thrill to see that on youtube and like i say i hope to see that live someday Mm. in concert because to me that is what i missed as a kid I, that is what I miss. I'd love to see that. And yes, it's, it's sad that Davey's not there. Mm-hmm. With, at least with Mike there, they do play as a band. And for this original fan who defended them for not being a band, to see them play as a band is wonderful affirmation. It really is.
2: Mm-hmm. Jeff, Jeff Geringer, same question.
3: I was stunned. Uh, I mean, I, can't, I still can't believe that they came back as strong and as well as they did. Let me tell you the story. It's a little personal, and if you want to cut it out, cut it out. Um, In 1986, I went to my first Monkees concert. Uh, It was part of the convention in Philadelphia that Ed Riley and Maggie McManus uh, threw, and it was a fabulous convention. But the capper was that we all got to go on a bus and go see the Monkees. Well, the concert was awesome. They were great. At the very end, they're playing the Monkees theme, and the three guys line up at the end of the stage and do the Monkees walk Uh off the stage. Uh Well, I started getting choked up, and I'm I'm 26 at the time. Going, wait a minute! I don't I don't cry at the drop of a hat. What the hell was that? And it took a long time to learn what the monkeys had meant to me at my life at 26. The first record I ever bought was the monkeys' first album. I'm a record collector. That's my hobby. I've got thousands of people's pieces of vinyl now. Um, uh, my, I had to go uh, to sit in a hospital waiting room for a couple of weeks because my brother was sick and my dad bought me a transistor radio so I could hear the monkeys. I fell in love with radio and I've had a 35 year career in radio. Oh, wow. um, oh it gets worse. In, in the video of words where Davy plays the drums, then because he was my hero, I wanted to play the drums. So I got a drum set and another drum set and my first success as a kid growing up was as a drummer. and so. My hobby, my profession, and my first success all came from the monkeys. So, you know, when I get all choked up of watching them, and I, I got the same way when Mike came out in 1986 at the Greek Theater. It's just, it, it took me a while to figure out why I was so emotional, but the monkeys are so much of what I had become. I, I'm just so grateful for them.
4: Wow. Very yeah, good. it is an emotional experience to see them like that. It really is. Mm-hmm.
0: So now
2: you have seen how things have unfolded, and the Internet is alive and active with all sorts of monkeys fans from all generations. Uh, what do you think of your younger brothers and sisters in the uh, Monkey fandom, Jeff Garringer?
3: Oh, I think it's, it's great to see, and it's, what's fun is to not only see how they react to the monkeys. But when you see, you know, as we look at One Direction or the Jonas Brothers or the other type of, you know, boy bands for better uses of the term, um, you, you watch the similarities between the monkeys and, you know, the Jonas Brothers. They used to have their show on, on Disney Channel and it, it was so similar to the way the monkeys go without, you know, being a copy or trying to imitate the monkeys. I, I think it's great how all ages now get into the monkeys. All, you know, people my age, people young, it's so fun going to concerts now because there really is three generations of fans and they're all standing on their chairs screaming.
1: Some of us stand beside our chairs
4: screaming. Yes. (laughs) We're just lucky we can stand.
1: Well, there is that too.
2: (laughs) Karen Welsh, what do you think of the different generations of monkey fans and what you're seeing on the net nowadays?
4: I, I'm i amazed. I just love it. I mean, you see somebody in a chat room say or on Facebook say, "Oh, I'm 16 years old. I can't stand so-and-so. I can't stand so-and-so. I love the monkeys. You guys are so lucky that you're there for the original incarnation. And the younger, the better. And, you know, I had no idea that the MTV generation of fans um, was as large as it is. I, I didn't know until I got involved with uh, listening to zilch and to seeing what's posted on, on zilch facebook i was getting a little concerned that the original fans were you know me that's it <laughs> they're I'm the original fan i was so happy to see how the original fans show up <laughs> once they figured out how to use facebook <laughs> that's me yeah yeah well it was me i don't, i'm not that surprised when i think about the visual that goes with the music you know what i mean because those visuals will appeal to kids of a certain age no matter what generation they are. So um, the TV show is, of course, what I'm talking about. I have discovered there are fans out there who don't even know that there was a TV show, and that absolutely floors me. I mean, how can you not know there was a TV show? They're they they they're shocked when they find out <laughs> that they had a TV show. They know the monkeys from the music. They don't know it from the TV show. That's really interesting to me. But I think it's wonderful. The, the generations, uh, I think that's just great. And I don't know whether that's true for other bands. Is that true for the Stones, for example, or, or not? I don't know. Well, they're still touring. I know they're still touring, but h- how old are the people in the audience? Are yeah. they all my age or, or in their 40s at least? Or are, they, or are there 16-year-old kids there? I don't know.
1: Neither do I. I
4: thought Ken would know.
2: No, you don't know Ken? All all rock bands are, are always drawing new fans. As a matter of fact, a lot of people think that you're seeing a lot of diehards at all these shows, but right. in reality it's not the diehards that keep KISS performing or the Rolling Stone performing. It's the people that have never seen them. The new people that are coming to the table all the time. Not not okay. the not not the bitter, angry people who are arguing about uh something that happened you know 20 years ago but the people that are finding them for the first time today
1: yeah and there are a lot of teenage Beatles fans on tumblr i know that right if you go on youtube
2: and do searches you can find uh reviews of head and the show and things like that from young men and and, and young ladies be it uh 13 14 or 16 years old and they're they're talking about buying the handmade sets or watching the blu-ray of head and there's some that actually do commentaries over episodes of shows and and the movies Mm -hmm. and stuff like that so it's really interesting to see how that continues to blossom that Mm -hmm. there are people i mean right now we're in the midst of ifc me tv and antenna tv rebroadcasting the episodes as we come up on the 50th anniversary and every time those channels are clicked on, there's a new monkey fan made.
0: uh uh-huh. Yep, yep, yep.
2: It's kind of like the old thing when uh, you hear a bell, and angel gets its, its wings. <laughs> well, whenever you hear the sound of birds chirping in the episode with Julie Newmar, uh, what is it, Melanie? Monkeys, monkeys get out more get dirt. Out dirt. <laughs> yes, monkeys get out more dirt. All there together is. now. Yes, yes. Whenever you see the, hear, hear the stars in the eyes, there's a new <laughs> monkey fan being born. So, it's very cool. Well, I'd like to thank both Jeff Geringer and Karen Welsh for being on Zilch today, and Melanie, thank you for being a wonderful co-host as usual. It was great to hear your your look at how things come up. I'm not sure if I'm an original fan or not. What would you guys say? I mean, I was about four when the Monkees aired. I I don't know. I mean,
3: I would say you are. You were. (laughs) I'm sure. I'm sure you heard their music in the '60s. Oh,
2: absolutely we loved it I remember uh, I remember it fondly I remember thinking that you know you'd read the albums and even as a little kid I would teach myself how to read I remember seeing Chip Douglas' name and thinking that it was the same Chip Douglas that was on My Three Sons somehow some way it made sense to me I mean if the monkeys were in a studio with Chip Douglas it seemed to make sense they were on TV together So
4: (laughs) strange way the the kids' mind works, right? Kids' mind is just
1: Right. Well they all live in Southern California, right? So Mm. (laughs) they all knew each other, didn't they?
2: (laughs) Well the penguin was on the monkeys and Superman was there and Tarzan came by and Mr. Clean was there, so Chip Douglas could have produced the monkeys. (laughs) He did in fact. (laughs) So anyway. Well, we want to thank you for being on the show today. And no matter what generation fan you are, we want to hear from you. Let us know what you thought of this conversation. And you can add to the conversation on Facebook. And we hope to see you there, see you on Twitter, and you can email us as well. The information will be in the show notes on how to get a hold of us. We want to thank you, and we're really glad that you guys came aboard today to monkey around.
1: And that's our show. Zilch is an online non-profit monkeys Audio fanzine made by fans for fans. Any samples of music or interviews heard remain property of their owners. We are not related to the monkeys or any of their members past or present. We are not affiliated with Rhino or Ray Bird. If you hear anything you like from the band, go on Amazon or iTunes and buy it. If you enjoyed the show, like us on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm your announcer, Chelsea Epstein, saying always take some time to monkey around.
2: You want to sing?
4: <laughs> no.
2: Come on, Karen. You haven't sung for us yet.
4: Oh, no. <laughs> well, okay. Okay. Um, ready?
3: Karen, so be, the- be warned. He's going to put this on the end of the damn episode, so Oh, be careful. I know what he
4: does with it. Is somebody going to do the drum roll?
2: I will, as a matter of fact. <clears throat> sure.
4: Here we come. Walking down the street. We get the funniest looks from... Everyone we meet, <laughs> hey hey for monkeys. People say we monkey around. This is the jazz version. A little bit of a uh, little Las Vegas. Yeah, give us the salmon good timer. Give the Okay. Oh, the salmon the good timer <laughs> version. Oh yes, yes, yes. Hey oh, <laughs> hey, we're the monkeys. Deep <laughs> say we monkey around. Been too busy up. That's a little bit like Frank Sinatra. Holy, oh dear. I'm hey, mixing oh, let's, let's up.
3: Ken, let's lead. Melanie and Karen. Let's go get a drink.
0: Okay.
2: <laughs> With
4: the drunkies.
2: Alrighty then. And Paul Revere and the Raiders. and yeah, Elvis sure, sure, And everything else.
1: He was, yeah, he was ahead of his time. Yeah, um, you were. I was totally oblivious.
2: I'm so ahead of my time, I died yesterday. Um... <laughs> And we're back. Welcome to Zulch. Um, oh, I guess I have to breathe out at some point.
4: Well, I yeah, gotta say, though, California was this mythical place that I desperately wanted to go to.
2: It still is for many Because that's where people. the
4: monkeys were, right?
2: Right, right, right. And so
4: we used to spend hours on the phone driving the operator crazy, asking for Davy Jones' phone number. <laughs>
2: Well, you need to tell that story on the air, okay? Okay. All right.
0: And in the end